Retired Navy JAG officer and successful author Dave Grogan is coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. We've used Navy Federal many times over the years for automobile loans. So whether it's your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal is there to help guide you into finding a comfortable monthly payment you can afford. Plus, they have military discounts. Check them out at NavyFederal.org. Hey, I'd like to welcome Dave Grogan to the to the show. Uh, Dave, you're a, a naval officer, a JAG officer, um, and also known as a lawyer or a military attorney. Uh, phenomenal author. You've got several books. You've been on the show before. Uh, you've got series of books. Um, you've got a great platform, and you also have a special piece, Voices to Veterans, where you like to interview interview, do one-on-one interviews with veterans. So welcome back to the show, Dave. Um, as a good review um, for those listeners, because it's been over a year since you've been on the show, take us back. Tell us a little bit about your career in the Navy. Sure, Joe. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate you letting me uh, share my story here. Um, so I was in the Navy for just about uh, 27 years on active duty. I was a, a JAG. I retired in 2014. Um, I started off doing the things that uh, all JAGs do, uh, trying courts martial. I was both defended and prosecuted uh, courts martial. But then I moved out of the trial uh, area that in, into more of the base uh, staff judge advocate area um, and where I went on to advise uh, commanding officers and, and admirals, um, not only about issues that deal that deal with the typical base. Um, but also I became an international lawyer. So I concentrated on things like the rules of engagement and international law. Um, I spent some time actually, um, working for, uh, then deputy assistant secretary of defense, Mark Esper. Um, he was my immediate boss back mm-hmm. in, in the office of the secretary of defense back in about the 2006 timeframe. And, um, I negotiated treaties uh, around the world. So I paired up with a U.S. ambassador and I did treaty negotiations uh, dealing with the International Criminal Court. Um, My two favorite tours and the ones that I'm actually the most proud of are um, one was uh, serving as a battle group uh, lawyer. So I was the lawyer for um, a two star admiral who was in charge of the USS Enterprise battle group. And we deployed uh, back in uh, 2004. Um, I'm sorry, 2006. Sorry, I missed that. Uh, 2006. Uh, and we deployed to the uh, uh, Med and to the Persian Gulf and um, got to advise on all kinds of all the legal issues that you would typically deal with uh, it, it operating in the, in the Persian Gulf. Um, then uh, a little bit later, I. Um, became the uh, uh, executive assistant for the um, commander of uh, U.S. Naval Forces um, Cent- Central Command in 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 uh, NAVSENT in um, Bahrain. And mm-hmm. I was the executive assistant. And it's very unusual for a JAG to um, become a 
an, an executive assistant for a line officer. There was a significant learning curve, um, but I got to I, I got to travel with them everywhere, all the way through uh, all of the Middle East. We've essentially visited every country except for um, Iran, uh, for obvious reasons. And I also didn't make it into Afghanistan, but made it everywhere else. So had a, that was a, a just a great tour on both of those tours. And I, I need to go back and, and correct something. It was 1996 that I was on the Enterprise Battle Group, not 2006. Um, yeah, I, I, this is what happens when you get old. Um, <laughs> So uh, those two tours, I really felt like I helped contribute to the Navy's effort because I was out with the line officers providing advice um, that helped them uh, accomplish the mission. And um, uh, then I, I went on, I had some Pentagon tours um, and I finished up my career with the Office of the Judge Advocate General. I was the executive assistant to the Judge Advocate uh, General for the last 18 months um, working in the Pentagon and spent the bulk of that time, I'd say probably at least 40% of my time there working uh, sexual assault in the military issues, dealing with policy and preparing my boss to testify on the Hill and those types of things. So just uh, had a, a thoroughly enjoyable career, but in uh, 2014, it was time to, to hang it up and, and head into the civilian sector. Yeah, and so you are a very accomplished author. You've written several books. You have a series of books. What At what point in your naval career did you start getting interested in writing, and, and when did you actually release your first book? So I, I at about the 10-year point in the Navy, they send you, uh, the Navy sends you back to get, as a JAG, to get a master's degree in some specialty. So my specialty was uh, the, uh, was international law. So I attended the George Washington University Law School in Washington, D.C., and got a, a LLM in uh, international law. And there I had a, I had a, this professor who taught human rights. His name was Thomas Bergenthal, and he was he's one of the most foremost the foremost authorities on human rights in the world. He served on the International Court of Justice, um, and he's also an Auschwitz survivor. And in that class, it gave me the idea that I could put together a book that maybe would have a little bit of a human rights uh, theme to it, but do it in a kind of a thriller um, genre that so that it might attract people to to read it and maybe get a little bit of a picture on, on international human rights. So I started that that book in 1998 or 1999, um, using that class as kind of the impetus for it. And I, I wrote, you, when you write, you, you need to write about something that you know about. So I picked the, the main character as being a Navy, a retired Navy lawyer. Now, this was at the 10-year point in my career. So I still had about 17 years to go. And, and what I did is I, I didn't write about me. I wrote about the lawyer I wanted to be when I retired. Hmm. So that was the main character. His name was Steve Stilwell. And I put him in Williamsburg, Virginia. And he opens up a small town law practice in uh, Williamsburg. And that's kind of that was kind of the, the driver. And then I made every single mistake you could make as a new author. Um, I, 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 I start, you know, essentially started book, you know, one dark and stormy evening, you, you, you know, the, <laughs> uh, with all the cliches in it. Um, and uh, I, I would send it out to family and they would read it and they would say, oh, this is wonderful because they wouldn't tell me the truth because I was their family member. And uh, and then I'd send it off to agents. And I started off with all the high powered agents in New York. And of course it gets 
rejected each time because it's it's not ready to go. Um, so over the course of the next probably 10 years, I refined the book and uh, kept sending it off to agents and getting rejected until finally I was when I was working in Guantanamo Bay. Um, I was on a, a tribunal in Guantanamo Bay and one of the guys on the tribunal with me, his mom worked for the New York Times and he said she'll edit the first 25 pages if you send them to her and she'll tell you what you're doing wrong. And that's what she did. So she looked at the first 25 pages. She showed me what I was doing wrong. I went through and kind of made those types of edits all the way through the book. And in 2012, I said, I'm going to try one more shot at getting an agent. And I sent it out and I, I landed an agent in 2012. So that process took about 14 years. Um, and I went through about 70 agents to get to that point. Um, well, the agent got it and, and he sent it out in a, in a year later in 2013, a small uh, publisher by the name of Camel Press uh, purchased the book. Um, they asked me if I'd be willing to do a series. And I said, of course, and uh, the book came, the book, that first book, The Seagull Dis Dispositions, came out in 2014. That's awesome. I, I really like how you you explain some of the process of all the, the typical mistakes most authors, you know, brand new authors make. Um, you know, from time to time, I do have uh, veteran book authors on the show, not so much to teach people how to write a book, but writing a book and putting it all together and marketing it and getting an agent, it's a very entrepreneurial process. So it's similar to a lot of other business types. So over the, over the years, you've, you've touched on this a little bit already over the years, you've, you have learned a lot about writing books and it's, it's not just about whether you can put thought to paper. It's, you, you mentioned after your friends, your buddy's mom reviewed your first 25 pages, you didn't change the story, but you went back and, change how to write it or from a different angle or you have to really in order to write a book that's going to be popular successful it kind of has to be written from a certain perspective or with a certain purpose um if you just throw in random thoughts down obviously it's not going to work but you thought you were writing a good book but when you tweaked it with the advisement of people that really know good books then then your books became so much better um talk a little bit about over the, over the years and all the number of books you've written, and I'm sure you've gotten better at it, you know, how have you transformed from when you, the very first book you wrote to where you're at now? Sure. And it's been really a substantial change. Uh, if you, when you read the Siegel dispositions and it's a, uh, it's a good book. And I, and I will say one other thing my initial, initial publisher is, is Camel Press, a relatively small press located in Seattle, Washington. They put out a very high quality, great looking paperback book, but the market is relatively small. Um, after about a year, my books come out via Harlequin, which is a, one of the big worldwide publishers. Harlequin, you may know them as the romance novel people, yeah. but they have an, an imprint where they put out thrillers. And so my book comes out via Harlequin's thriller um, imprint to the mass market. So there's it, it comes out a little, it's a little smaller. It's more like the paperbacks that you'd see in the airport. And that's where they'll sell thousands of copies. 
Um, what I noticed was that I work with the editors very closely at Camel Press, and I, I really try to listen to what they say, and I also listen to reader feedback. I really encourage my readers to give me uh, feedback. Um, but the editors at Camel Press helped me go from, I would say, more of a someone who was writing legal briefs that was um, very factual, maybe a, um, a little bit um, – uh, uh, not boring isn't the right word, but 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 bland uh, to, to becoming more of a storyteller. And when you go from the first book, um, The Siegel Dispositions, to the second book, Sapphire Pavilion, which takes place in Vietnam, and that one was released in 2017, it's an extraordinary difference between those two. Um, and in fact, that that one, um, I'm sure most readers or most of your listeners are familiar with uh, Military Times, either uh, Air Force, Navy, Army, Marine Corps Times, Coast Guard Times. So Sapphire Pavilion was actually back in 2017 when it came out. It was their number three fiction read for the fall. Oh, cool. And it, it was a, a, just a um, leaps and bounds, I, I think. Uh, now, some people still like the first book better because it's got the buildup and the background to some of the characters. But um, the excitement really picked up uh, moving into uh, Sapphire Pavilion and the editing also, the amount of editing decreased. When I moved to my third book, the one that's getting ready to come out, uh, The Hidden Key, here shortly, uh, there was very, very, very little um, editing at, at the, and let me say, it, it, for those that write books, there's there are there's two levels of editing. There's a concept editor who comes in and looks at the book first and says, hey, here's here's where you've got some holes in your in your logic, in your story flow. Fix these holes. They're inconsistent or something doesn't work quite here. So they fit you fix the concept from end to end. Um, and, and that's the, really the most valuable edit. Um, for the hidden key, uh, there, we went through the concept edit, and then you moved on to the second, and after I fixed those things, you move on to the second edit, and that's called the line edit, where another editor goes through line by line, word for word, and, and can propose changes. Um, there were almost no line edits in the hidden key. Uh, so because I've, I've really tried to learn um, be, from the editors each time and try to incorporate what they tell me. And again, the feedback from the, from the readers in terms of the things that they like, it's reduced my editing time down dramatically. Now I still spend a lot of time editing, uh, before I ever send it. I never send anything to the publisher, um, unless I'm perfectly satisfied with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I've noticed a significant difference over time just by following and paying attention to what the editors tell me. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break and, and we'll be right back. Your membership is a big deal. Navy Federal Credit Union will help you save money, make money, and enjoy peace of mind and security through personalized around-the-clock service. Their members earn and save an average of $289 more per year just by banking with them. And if you're looking for a car, whether it's your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal is there to guide you into finding a comfortable monthly payment you can afford. With their auto loan calculator, you can estimate payments for your auto loan so you know what's right for you and your budget. The car you want is within reach with their low rates. Enjoy an easy application process, military discounts, and get a decision in seconds. Get car financing without leaving your home. Apply online, on our mobile app, or by phone. 
Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, dollar value based on 2018 study by Navy Federal. Messages and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. All right, we're back talking with Dave Grogan. Dave, uh, Dave was a retired Navy JAG officer and uh, very, uh, very well-published author. So, Dave, um, tell us a little bit about the entrepreneurial aspects of writing a book. Um, one of the things we're talking about over the break is um, from previous authors is sometimes you, if you can talk to a, a, a book agent ahead of time, like what kind of books I'm looking at writing books about this, this, and this, what's the best way to frame those books and tell us what kind of books you're looking for. Tell what kind of books are selling. What, you know, what, how can I frame this or frame that? If you know ahead of time, what book agents are looking for, it can really help you define exactly how you the approach you're going to make to writing, writing your books. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure can, Joe. Um, so first of all, you know, if you can get an agent, that's an extremely important thing. Um, so if you know some agents, um, or you have the ability to talk to some agents, that's fine. But recognize that agents also specialize in particular areas. So there are books that you can get um, or online search tools that you can use. You, you want to try to talk to an agent who is who specializes in your area and can give advice in your area. And then if if they can if they can talk to you and say, hey, these are the types of things that that's selling. Um, th- that's great. Uh, recognizing that that may be what's selling now, what may be selling in 18 months when you finish your book, uh, may be a different thing, but at least you're pointed in the, in the right uh, direction. Um, and when you go about getting an agent, uh, it's important to have done that homework first to, to identify the agents that might be willing to represent your type of work, because you'll be wasting an awful lot of time if you send out queries to an agent and say, represent me in, let's say, like in mine is a minor thrillers. If I send it to people that only do children's uh, um, literature or um romance novels, they're, they're, they're not even going to open it. And also, it's very, very rare for agents, especially once you're at the query stage, where you, and, and a query is where you send out a letter and you say, here's what I've written. This is, would you please represent me? Um, most of the time, the only thing that you'll ever get back from an agent, if you get back anything at all, is no. <laughs> um, <laughs> or it'll be, yes, I'm interested in talking. I'm talking further. But they they provide any type of um, advice unless they're interested in representing you. Um, so uh, it's important to do that homework. You can also, if 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 you don't have an agent that you can talk to, you can also go online on Amazon and search for the genre that you're interested in and see the types of books that are selling, um, so that you can you can look and try to frame your your book in in that context. Uh, something that is also extremely important, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is you have to write what about what you know about. So uh, unless you are um, able to go out and 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 um, do a lot of research, and you're that type of writer, like you're you're let's say you're a historian, so that you have the ability to go out and look at different aspects of history, and you can write about different aspects of history because you know how to research. Otherwise, you you really need to focus on the things that you know about. So me, so that's why my character, my lead character, is a navy uh, a navy attorney, and all of the all of the the material that I write about. 
um, deals with things that I'm extremely familiar with. So they'll, it'll be, they all have a, a legal aspect to them. I kind of write along the lines of a John Grisham. Um, they all have an international aspect to them because I was an international attorney and traveled a lot. Um, they all have a suspense act aspect to them because that's the market that I'm that I'm um, trying to reach. And similar, they have a military aspect to them. Not they're no, None of them are war stories, um, but what they are is they all are tied to veterans and they have veterans as um, characters that have experiences that veterans would have and connections that veterans would have. So those are all things that I'm familiar with so that when I'm writing the story, it comes across as being genuine and legitimate. And if people go to verify it, um, and 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 I have readers that do that. Um, uh, they will look and see if I've written something and 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 they'll go look it up and see if I've done my homework, if what I've done is accurate. And what you don't want to be, you, you don't want to be uh, writing something that is inaccurate or doesn't come across as being genuine because that won't be uh, something that's accepted by either an agent or by a publisher or by readers in general. Right, right. And so as as you not only have you become a better writer and a better author, you've become a better entrepreneur as you've gone through the process of writing multiple books. I I hope so. Um, I, I, I would say a couple of things. I, I've learned a lot. Um, when, when, I, when I first started writing, I thought that all that you had to do was you get the book published and everybody else, it, it, the, the publisher takes care of it themselves. And that's not the way that it works. The, the author really has to be a business person. You have to be your biggest advocate in terms of selling. So there's a couple of things that really, really help. And if you are, if you are um, an aspiring writer, I would start to work on this right away. And that's developing your platform. How are you going to sell your book? What, how are you going to make your name known? Now, if you already if you already have name recognition, then you are so far ahead of the game because people will recognize your name and, and want to read about it. But if you're trying to build that name recognition, one really key way to do that is by setting up a website. And I, so someone gave me this advice and, in fact, gave me the, the a, a book to read called Platform. Um, which I did several years ago, and 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 it transformed the way that I I did my website. And I set it up, and initially they it suggested a good way to bring people to your website is a blog. So I started to write a blog, and and uh, I settled on writing about veterans because I love talking to veterans and hearing their stories. So I thought that initially I would I would begin just interviewing some veterans and um, writing down their story and putting them out once or twice a month. Um, and I and I did that and, and it's been extremely successful and, and, and it now brings uh, thousands of people to my website uh, every year. But I have to say, I've enjoyed, I, I think I actually enjoy interviewing the veterans and writing about the vet, veterans as much or more than I enjoy writing, writing the books. But yeah. what that did is it really started uh, developing some name recognition and then bringing people to my website. And then when they come to my website and they read the vet, the piece on the veterans, um, then they also drift around and they take a look at, at, at the books that I've written and see if those things are something that are, that are interesting and vice versa. It works the other way too. People that have read my books go to my website to see the other things that I've written. And then they see the voices to veterans pieces and start to read about American veterans. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So that's one aspect to it, uh, in order to bring people that name recognition piece. The other part is really identifying your market. And uh, what I learned is that it's, 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 it's very important to figure out where you're going to be able to sell. So for example, because I'm, 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 I don't have the name recognition that John Grisham does, if I go to try to do a book signing in a Barnes and Noble uh, bookstore just randomly selected. So like, let's say that I wanted to do one in Kansas City and uh, I, I wrote the Barnes and Noble in Kansas City and said, could I do a book signing there? Not only would they say no, but if I did go there, uh, there wouldn't be anyone who would come in looking for my books because I haven't created that audience. However, if I go to a Navy exchange or an Army or Air Force exchange and I do a book signing at the Army and Air Force exchange, my status as a veteran brings people over to my desk where I, I sell and I have I have an extremely successful book signing uh, practice that I that I use at Army and Navy um, and, and Air Force exchanges around around the United States, primarily so far in the, the central part of the United States. But with this third book signing, I've got I've got events lined up at Fort Bragg later in the year. And I'm, it was in the process of scheduling things when uh, um, COVID-19 hit. So I'm afraid it's I'm afraid it's going to take my uh, I've got uh, some events coming up at Wright Patterson Air Force Base and um, Scott Air Force Base. I'm afraid those are going to go by the wayside. Right. Um, but but that that recognizing that that was my market allowed me to focus on the places where my my readers, my true my customers are and not waste effort on areas where there's little to no return. Um, and then but when people read my stuff, they tell their friends and that's how my market grows rather than me trying to uh, insert myself in a place where I'm, I'm just not going to have much traction. Yeah. So the platform really, it not only allows people to discover you, but it allows you to discover who your true audience is and the, the platform provides continuity and are, are, have you been able to, is your platform as well established enough? Do you have the mechanisms built into it so that when you release a new book, which you just released one in April, um, when you release a new book, does your platform help uh, launch, launch your new book? It does help. It really does. Uh, um, and, and in fact, what I do is I, I, uh, I, and I try to change the content on it because I want people to keep coming back to the website. Uh, in fact, I, I, I taught myself how to do a website myself because I found that it was extremely difficult to change the content and, and keep having to pay someone uh, to uh, make all of the constant changes that I needed to make. So I, I, I learned um, how to do a website and now I keep the, the content changing. I make sure that I reflect uh, upcoming events, um, a book trailer uh, on it to try to get people interested in watching and, and, and learn about it. And then again, the voices to veterans, which brings, I, I make sure that I have a new veteran um, just about every month. And that brings people to the website, and then again they'll 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 scroll around and 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 learn about the new book when it comes out. And then I also have marketing tools on there, like um, a mail list, so that when people visit, they can sign up for the mail list, and then I notify them, and I'll go out and send notices out every two or three times a year because I don't like to overwhelm people with uh, um, mail, but I do talk to them about upcoming projects or books, as well as veterans that are 
the most recent veteran stories that that appear. And and those emails are an extremely effective um, marketing tool, as are uh, postcards for a book launch. And I think actually the postcards that I personally send out to uh, customers that I've either developed in the past or people that I know, um, those are actually extraordinarily effective as well. Yeah. And uh, so talk a little bit about your Voices to Veterans project. You know, what, what is that and what exactly are you doing with that? Sure. So the Voices to Veterans, my, my, I, I, I felt really passionate about this. And that is, you know, ap- after World War II, just about every all the, all the men had served in the military. So, you know, by the time they reached uh, uh, the age where they could serve in government, we had lots of people in Congress and, of course, the presidents who'd all served in the military. Um, but now uh, so few people uh, with the professional military, so few people have served. I don't think that they really understand the veteran experience. So what I really wanted to do was to to interview veterans. And I and if you go to the website, it's davidegrogan.com and there's a tab for voices to veterans. What I wanted to do was profile veterans and most of them are guys or, or women, men or women that um, haven't ever had their story told before. And that's why I call it Voices to Veterans. So um, I interview them and and I've had these interviews, generally they take an hour to an hour and a half. Um, I take really, really good notes. I don't record them because uh, oftentimes uh, the veterans, especially the combat veterans, there may be things that they they don't feel comfortable saying if they're they're being recorded. and I'm very careful to let them know that nothing goes into the write-up. In fact, they approve the write-up before I post it. But I cover their their story. It's it's if I cover a little bit before they go into the military, and then their military story, and then their life after the military. And I, you know, when I when I first started writing it again, I, I as I said, it was really designed to bring people to the website, and it was for customers uh, that you know potential readers. But I've actually shifted who I write it for now. And I, it's, I write it more for the veteran and the veteran's family and the veteran's friends. And, and the reason that I say that is um, if you write a blog, they tell you that your blog should typically be about four, uh, 750 words. And um, because otherwise people won't spend a lot of time reading beyond about 750 words. But I found that I, I couldn't tell these stories in, in 750 words. So I took the word limit off. And I just make sure that it I, I write as long as it takes to get the veteran's story across in a meaningful way um, so that it's preserved for the veteran and his family and his friends. And that has brought not only has that that brings the family and friends to the website then, but I find that they actually then tend to share it more because it more accurately represents the story of the veteran. So, for example, the last one that I wrote um, was a Vietnam veteran, and his his story it was about thirty five hundred words, so about five times the length of a typical um, uh, typical blog. Um, but the number of people that go to view it are far in excess of when I first started and was and was just writing for the purpose of bringing people to the website. Mm-hmm. So it's really it's really changed. Uh, the stories are are much more. Um, 
uh, intriguing. Um, they're inspiring when you see some of the things that these veterans have overcome and then the things that they've had to deal with um, after uh, their service. Um, they're just really people to be admired. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so there's really no, no video or no audio recording. It's all a written record of the veteran story. It, that, that's correct. Um, what I am thinking about doing down the road uh, is um, changing it to a, 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 um, an audio. Uh, uh, I, I read the stories. I'll, I will read a podcast where we, I will have an actor read the stories. Um, uh, I, I don't want to actually interview the veterans and have their interview uh uh, played or, or available to the public again, because I, I want them to feel free to discuss what they want to, um, want to discuss without having to be concerned about having something, uh, recorded that they, that they didn't intend to say. Um, and I think it makes them feel much more comfortable. And I'll give you, I mean, just a, a, one of the veterans, he was a Vietnam veteran that I, uh, interviewed, uh, um, a few months ago, um, uh, toward the end of last year, actually. And he just called up, called me up yesterday to ask me how I was doing. So I, I, I feel like I've developed kind of a, yeah, great. Um, a, a camaraderie with the guys that guys and women. I mean, again, I've, I interview, uh, quite a number of, uh, uh, female veterans as well. Um, both male and female, but I feel like I've got, I've got just a great group of stories. I've got about 25 of, I think that are currently available now, anywhere from world war two veterans up through, uh, the Iraq war so far. That's awesome. And so any information about any of your books and the voices to veterans program is all, is all on your website, davidegrogan.com. That's correct. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. We're getting close to the end of our time. So tell us a little bit about your book that just released uh, hidden key. Sure. So the hidden key is, uh, it's the third book in a series, um, a Steve Stillwell series. They're designed so that you can read them independently. Um, you could start off with a hidden key without a problem. Uh, I, I would recommend that you, if you, if you like thrillers that you start off with Sapphire Pavilion, uh, and you can always go back and get the first one, but the, the hidden key is the third one. And you'll, it, you'll, you'll get a, it'll give away a couple of surprises in Sapphire Pavilion if you read the hidden key first. But that being said, the hidden key starts off and kind of the premise for it is, uh, uh, during, um, the Iraq war, uh, the Marines um, built a, a, a camp on the, the ruins of the ancient city of uh, Bag uh, of um, uh, I just can't believe I lost Babylon. <laughs> Babylon, thank you. On the ruins <laughs> of the ancient city of Babylon, yeah. and and um, and so I have a couple of CBs that are that are uh, building a berm around the um, uh, the base, and they find an ancient map. And um, the map uh, has some history to it, and and uh, bad things start to happen when they uh, after they discover it. So that's kind of the story. That's the hidden key is the story about this map and uh, the people that that's come cool. into contact. There's actually there's act, that's actually true. I think because I when we were in Iraq in '04, and I remember a couple of our helicopters landed. Can't remember what they were doing there, but they had landed in in a fob or something that was right there at the, you know, the biblical, uh, ancient city of Babylon. So th there's actually some truth to that, right? Oh, no, that, that's, that is, it is exactly yeah. true. And in fact, the map, the map actually really does exist too. It's in the, um, oh, really? it's a museum in London. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, so, uh, it's just that the, the actual map, 
um, that's in, in London is missing the bottom quarter of the map. So these guys find the intact map with uh, um, the bottom included. So that's that's the the key part is that it discloses things that people weren't aware of before. It was the map made of stone. It was it, it, so it's it's on, really? it's on a clay tablet made and cool. and the writing on it is cuneiform, which was the the the, the writing of the ancient uh, uh, city of Babylon. That's awesome. All right. Well, hey, Dave, uh, close to the end of our time. Uh, you know, normally I ask uh, if somebody's looking to jump into entrepreneurship, someone a veteran, military spouse, what advice would you have for them? In your case, you know, there, we say there's there's a book inside of every veteran just waiting to get out. So someone's looking to write a book. Uh, as far as just the mechanics of getting the book written and the marketing and the selling and the promoting all encompass what, you know, what kind of advice would you have for somebody for a fledgling author that's looking to write their own book? The, the key thing is the discipline to actually write it and get it started. So um, what I did was uh, I tried to write on the first one about 500 words a day. And I, I did that religiously every single day. Um, the other thing is to kind of get us use an outline, get an outline, figure out where you're going. Um, usually what I do is I know the beginning of the book and the end of the book. And then I, I, I outline it as I'm going through sometimes, you know, writing down uh, branches and sequels, depending upon where things come out. But you, you need to have an idea of where to start and where to finish and then just write every single day until you're done. Awesome. Well, great advice, Dave. Uh, look forward to um, seeing, seeing the next couple of books that have come out. I think Sapphire Pavilion was the last one we talked about. So, um, hope things are going well and, uh, we'll have you back on the show sometime in the future. Look forward to your future success. All right. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate you having me on today. You bet. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.